Hey there, hey there, and welcome to Reinventing the Digital Playbook. I'm Felix, a content creator and curious cat exploring the future of storytelling through conversation with industry-inspiring leaders to help you thrive in a digital-first market. My guest on the podcast today is Mark Pesci, a futurist, inventor, writer, entrepreneur, and educator whose deep understanding and connection to future tech positions him as an influential voice on emerging and evolving technologies. Mark, I'd like to explore how immersive tech is going to change the way we tell stories. Firstly, thank you for joining me. Really excited to have this chat. My pleasure. Mark, to kick things off, I realize you're not a psychic, but if the future isn't written... How do futurists know what's coming in the next 10, 20, 30 years? There's a simple rule of thumb, which actually comes from William Gibson, who's a science fiction writer, which is that the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So there are green shoots for the future. And if you can look around at those and look for where they're popping up and then basically extrapolate what happens when that is at scale, if that process achieves scale, if that idea achieves scale, if that gadget achieves scale, what does that then mean? What other systems does it touch? How are those systems then affected by that? How do they then send out their own green shoots? And so it's a, it's a process, I think, of both identification and then being able to imagine systemically what those identifications mean when they are brought to scale. And what do you think is coming in the next 20 or 30 years within our space of immersive storytelling? What should we expect? I don't really think that immersive storytelling is new. I think that a campfire is probably also as immersive as any storytelling that requires more technical apparatus as we would understand it. And even the stories that we're telling now with mobile devices and the web or whatever it might be, you know, even before you start getting into virtual reality or augmented reality, seem to have the capacity to captivate us, to put us in another world, at least to the degree that we feel that we can think in that space. And there seems to be a persistent need for people to imagine a completely synthetic replacement for this world as some sort of apotheosis of storytelling. And that reads to me more often as psychosis than as storytelling. And so I wonder if really that's the end game here of the next 20 years of some sort of thorough, quote unquote, immersive replacement of the way we tell stories now with something that is totalizing. There may be a place for that, but if you take a look at how television is developing more and more into an immersive medium and sort of replacing film fundamentally, film is something you dip into, whereas television is very much now leaning toward immersion, which was very much the opposite of, say, what it was 50 years ago. You can see that the thing we're talking about when we talk about immersion, again, is that capacity to keep people spellbound, to keep them captivated. It's not about really replacing their reality or their story with another story, but it's giving them other stories to be able to play with. So I wonder if that means that this is not really a technology project that we're actually talking about today, 
but we're talking about understanding story and understanding story as it works in a series of media from the spoken word all the way now into full immersion. And then if we accept that, what does that mean about what the constants are in the immersion and in those stories? And what does it mean around what the differences are in that immersion and in those stories? And I don't think we're really clear on that. I mean, you know, you talk about immersive storytelling. We still, this is 2021, cannot get two people into virtual reality together. Full stop. I mean, yeah, you can have a bad avatar of someone in virtual reality with you, but that's not the other person and it's not really you to that other person. So I feel as though stating that we're going to have some sort of magical moment of immersion in storytelling because of technology overstates our current capacities. And say with our current capacities, we're talking about placing us into another world and becoming immersed more with the capacity of storytelling as opposed to, say, its digital worlds. If we're looking into the future, how do you feel that emerging tech is really going to empower us as storytellers to get our voice across? Well, I mean, again, I think I'm drawn back to this, the, the, the points that I was making earlier because I don't necessarily think this is a story about emerging technologies. The current front line, the current coalface around storytelling is being able to use these systems for stories that have not yet been heard. So those are stories of diversity and you can range diversity in any number of different axes, whether that's gender diversity, whether that's um uh, racial diversity, whether that's cultural diversity, so on and so forth. And it seems as though that's the current axis of growth and development. And you can see that social media, for all of its flaws, and they are legion, that it actually also then provides a platform for diversity in storytelling. And so, again, to bring my point back, I don't necessarily see immersion as necessarily being that. Now, there have been some interesting examples of what I think has been optimistically called empathy machinery, using immersion to put yourself into someone else's shoes for a period of time so that you can experience their story. Whether or not that is more than a mirage is something that will need to be, I think, developed and tested. And if that does work out, if we do learn something from that and can apply that to how we tell stories, then we will have brought this, uh, this need for diversity in our storytelling together with our advances in immersive storytelling technologies. And in the future, do we still think that maybe traditional 2D screens are still going to exist or are we moving more into a world where with this emerging tech, it's just going to completely change the way that we tell stories. The presentation of story isn't really dependent on any dimensionality, right? It exists in the hyperspace of the mind rather than even the hyperspace of the web or any of those. I mean, it's something that happens inside our minds. And so it is separate from that presentation medium. Whether or not a two-dimensional display per se will exist as a primary interface medium in 20 years' time, 
I would have to say it probably will because we don't see strong indications of any successor technology showing up. I actually have on my desk right now something called a looking glass, which is a quote unquote three dimensional display. It sort of is, but it's still basically a two dimensional display with some lenticular technology put onto it. So it's not really three dimensions, even though it can show you some three dimensional information. Even when we get to this idea of, say, augmented reality spectacles that people might be wearing, the presentation of information in those environments, as enriched as it will be and as available to storytellers as it will be, may give us some affordances that have less to do with 2D screens. But I think that there's still going to be a lot of information in those environments that's presented in two-dimensional forms. So... It may not be a question so much about whether the screen itself is persistent as the immersive technology develops, but rather whether the two-dimensional display of information, and keep in mind, text is two-dimensional, that that is something that we will continue to hold on to because it is so deeply interwoven into our culture. And talking about dimensions, Mark, when we're exploring, obviously, the way that we create content now for 2D screens, moving into how VR and AR may impact storytelling, what are some of the new dimensions we're going to be able to explore as storytellers? One of the more interesting aspects of VR storytelling, as I've been watching it develop, is this idea of the transition so what we would think of as an edit or a cut in cinema terms, or in, uh, we can think of it as sort of flat media terms. What does that mean in, uh, I don't really want to call it immersion, I'll call it a virtual environment. What does that mean? And I have seen and experienced, luckily enough, a number of attempts at defining that. And it's not one single thing. It's many different kinds of transitions between many different kinds of environments for many kinds of reasons. And in the same way that a director might use a fade or they might use a jump cut, if you're talking cinema, uh, in the synthetic environment, there is an array of these um, technical tricks that we can use to help us move from one space to another without feeling disoriented or lost as we make that transition. And some of that will borrow from some of how our psychology works. Some of that will borrow, I think, a lot from our own understandings of how dreams work and dream time and magic and all of the stuff that flows out of that. And I have seen some very good early examples of this, but there is not a sufficient body of work yet in this space to really collect and say, you know, here's what we know beyond a couple of very basic effects. And what about our audience and the role that they play? Is that going to evolve? Is it going to change? Because as storytellers, we really curate content based on how we want an audience to experience that narrative. How do you see that changing? The whole concept of the audience is probably the thing that's changed far more than the, any of the technologies that we're talking about here. Because uh, at this point, TikTok and the other version of it, the Chinese version of TikTok, have, I think, in excess of 800 million daily users. And that is a participant slash AI driven experience where you can contribute to it, but the AI is always going to serve up something that it thinks is going to engage you, similar to what Facebook does. 
And so the relationship between the audience and the content is quite different from anything that we had experienced, at least at scale. I think there were probably always examples of this in the village where people would, you know, have their own stories or do their own things. But I think when you're talking about this happening at global scale, there is basically no precedent for it. And so what you've really done is you really reset, I think, both expectations and the capabilities of the audience here. And we don't really, I think, understand all of the elements of this yet, because this is a still very new thing. This is still not quite a decade old in any version. And so there's something around the feedback loops that get formed between the quote unquote audience member, who is also then quote unquote a performer, who is then also quote unquote a viewer. And in conjunction with the systems that they're performing within, and then in conjunction with all of the people around the world who would be uh, approving, disapproving, viewing, sharing that performance. And so you're talking about a very rich set of feedbacks there that talk about what the audience is. And that set of feedbacks produces a real immersion. Anything that we get in quote unquote virtual worlds, we'll end up copying from that system of immersion that has already been born, has already emerged. That's interesting. So in a way, our audience actually starts to become part of the content experience. You talked a little bit earlier about the audience playing the role of a performer. Can you unpack that for me, Mark? Well, I mean, this is the essence of how all of the peer production systems that we use work today. And the web at its basis was a peer production system where people were putting up web pages for their own edification and for the edification, edification of others. And it then took on any number of forms of media, whether that would be MP3s or videos or then YouTube, where you got the first sort of social service and sharing service that was organized around it. And then Facebook, which was sharing personal information around that. And then, of course, TikTok, which is sharing performance. And we really do see that the content quote unquote, the content that the audience is offering up and sharing and experiencing that content may modify, but the basic relationships and dynamics around how the audience operates around this pool of content and this pool of creativity, this seems to be not so much stable, but it seems to be taking fairly well understood forms. When people introduce a new sharing service, we have a fairly good idea of how things are going to unfold. And that was not true, say, a decade ago when sharing services were still relatively new. And so there's a body of, of, of knowledge that people can refer to when they're both creating sharing services and participating in sharing services about both what the norms are for their conduct, but also what their expectations are for how their own experience and their own participation, whether that's performance or just reviewing, will also then affect the dynamics of the system that they're involved in. As we're moving into this space of this technology getting better and better, how do we not lose touch with the art of storytelling through technology? The audience is going to let you know in the most immediate terms, particularly at this period of time where you can really gauge impact relatively quickly. 
you know, whether your idea is good or it's going to fly. And you can see large organizations such as Netflix really looking at how what they do is consumed when it's produced. So that in a sense, although the audience isn't creating Netflix content, the audience is deeply engaged with the analytic systems at Netflix helping to determine whether a successive series will be greenlit or a similar project or a project that may, in fact, attack, attract a similar audience because there are similar themes, so on and so forth, that all of that information is extensively collected and is used as an engine to keep that system producing as much attractive content for the folks who are within that system as possible. Do you think as storytellers, we're going to get to understand our audience on a really intimate level in ways that we just, we can't possibly fathom at the moment? I think a good storyteller understands an audience at a very intimate level. I think that's one reason why they're a good storyteller. If you don't have really good empathy and also the capacity for a theory of mind to understand how others are thinking about what they're thinking, then you can't really be a good storyteller. You will be a fact teller. But story is really the way we embody a series of facts inside a human narrative. And I think it's that that makes things different. And it's that that requires empathy. It requires listening. It requires responsiveness. And, you know, to bring that back, that is, those are elements that are not part and parcel of recorded media. Recorded media per se does not have that immediate response channel, whereas theater does. Clearly, any form of live performance does have that immediate response channel. And in some sense, what we're doing with all of this technical apparatus is building the response channel in that time-based media have not had since the invention of film 120 years ago. I've got a final question for you. With all this technology in mind, how do we continue to inject humanity into immersive technology in the way that we tell stories? I think particularly with respect to immersion, there is a tendency to forget the body, uh, to abandon the body, to be cruel to the body, that almost all immersive technologies are an insult to the body. They're an insult to the eyes. They're an insult to the ears. They're an insult to the proprioceptive senses. They completely ignore the sense of touch most of the time, and they certainly don't do anything with the sense of smell or taste. And so we have to think that in a lot of ways, the embodied nature of storytelling is something that we abandon at our peril, that we should always bring it back to the body, that the story is centered in our body, whether it's an individual body or the body of a culture or the body of the species, that there's tangibility there. And that if we go too far with our stories, if we make them, I think, sort of just too inside their own worlds, they may be satisfying to parts of us, but they will never really be truly satisfying to all of us. And it's the, it's the all of us that makes a story in some sense transcendent, that makes it work not just for one person, but for all people, and not just for one time, but for all time. Mark, what a great way to sum that up with the story is centered in our body. It's obviously, we are so programmed to the way that we respond to stories and I'm really excited to see how that's going to change and how that's going to be impacted by immersive tech. 
Thanks so much for sharing your insights, Mark. This is great. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into storytelling. If you're hunting for more information about this episode, all the details are in the show notes. And if you're feeling curious, there's a bunch more episodes just like this one on the podcast. Until then, thanks for joining in, and I'll catch you on the next episode.